G'day guys, welcome to episode 178 of Talking with TK. I'm your host Tristan Cannell, another great episode today and we've got Justin Horro in the house. So if you haven't heard, he calls himself The Scope, if you haven't heard his podcast yet, definitely check out The Scope podcast, gets plenty of the NRL boys on there, also talks a lot about American sports and sports in general. So it's a great podcast Justin's got going at the moment. It's always a pleasure to watch him actually play. I refereed him from a, from, a, from a very young age when he was playing at Canebo, also had the honour of actually getting to know his dad as he came through the grades as well. Mark Oro, who's an absolute legend, who played at Parramatta and a couple other NRL clubs by memory, but he's a great fella as well and had a lot to do with kind of really bringing referees in. So he was always very, very polite to the referees and really appreciate, you know, what he, you know, his standard towards us, especially as we're growing up. We're only young men. And yeah, he did plenty for the referees in terms of really building that bond between players and referees. So big shout out to Mark as well. Just before we get uh, Justin on the show, just a big thank you to everyone leaving reviews, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Facebook. You know, if you can leave me a review, it really helps me to continue to grow the show. So thank you for everyone who has left that already. Please continue to share the show with your family and friends. Really appreciate that. You can tag me on any posts. You'll find me at Facebook or Twitter at Talking with TK. Instagram, hit me up at Tristan Nell. If you want to get in touch, that's my channels as well. Send me a direct message or old school email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Always up to have a yarn about the footy sports or any guest requests or suggestions for the show. So definitely do get in touch. My book, Talking with Champions, that's out now. So 75 of my best interviews broken down into the best bits. Some of the ones you probably haven't heard on Talking with TK, the likes of Jonathan Thurston, Evander Holyfield, George Foreman, Layla Ali, Mario Andretti, including a whole heap of superstars across Australian sport as well. So the book's called Talking with Champions. You'll find it at Dimmick's Booktopia, Angus and Robinson, or just Google Talking with Champions. I am part also of the Diamond Tina podcast network. So plenty of laughs, plenty of plenty of great stories across my stable mates. Definitely check out Batuta, Pod, Batuta Advocate, which is a great laugh, especially if you've got Instagram or Facebook, the Halfcast podcast, or Dylan Friends as well. So I highly recommend some of my great friends in the Diamond Tina podcast network. All right, guys, excited for today's episode, and I introduce Justin Horro. All right, guys, my special guest today is Justin Horro. Justin is a former professional rugby league player who took his career right around the world. He played 120 first grades in the NRL, debuting at Parramatta. He also moved to Manly, where he started in the 2013 Grand Final. He moved over to the Super League in 2016, playing 83 games for the Catlins and also Wakefield. Post-footy, he hosts his own podcast, The Scope, and I welcome to the podcast, Justin Horro. Oz, welcome, buddy. Thanks, mate. Nice little intro there, bud. But mate, first things first, man. You, yeah, what's good intro? Your your podcast is flying, man. But I got to ask you, mate. You had the cheese on the other day. What happened to the cheese mid mid conversation? He he disappeared. Yeah, I'm not too sure what happened uh, with the, the maybe the Wi Fi wasn't working that good at, at Crown. Uh, where was he? Yeah, he probably was at the Crown Hotel. Just being hectic. Well, he was in isolation. Uh, we lost him for a little bit, but um, yeah, me and me and, me and Jerome kept the conversation going. Uh, the good fellas, those two, I only recently just met them in in Bali first of all for a couple of beers, and then uh, <laughs> spent a little bit of time with them in the New Zealand Maldi camp. So they're uh, they're good fellas. Yeah, good stuff, mate. But you know, your podcast is flying. You're doing really well. Did you ever? Because during a, a player's career, like a lot of you are kind of 
away from the media. A lot of you don't speak to the media and don't like the media. Have you being on the other foot and actually having to interview people? How have you kind of enjoyed the experience? Yeah, well, ex- I was exactly one of those players. Even though I, you know, played for a few years, I was never a guy that was really requested for media um, spots. I was sort of just like a bit of a toiler, like a, you know, a pretty average first grader, and just not talking myself down too much. But like, you know, when it comes to media um, interviews, they they sort of want to chat to you know the big dogs, the halves. Mm. Uh, fullbacks and all those sorts of things, all the captains, and uh, I was never any of those. It's been a bit of a, a learning curve for me. Um, I've always thought that you know I've had a you know a little bit to say, but uh, all coming through and playing with a few of the boys and and seeing the way that they were uh, portrayed in the media was a big sure. You mm. know, with the podcast that I'm doing is that I sort of you know give everyone an insight to what. You know, we were speaking just before a little bit off air about it. Just, you know, some of those players that have got a bit of a stigma about them or Mm. some negative uh, media, I just want to make sure that everyone sort of finds out a little bit more about them, you know. Yeah, but you've got a point of difference as well with the American sports that you're covering as well, man. Where did your kind of love of American sports kind of come in? Um, That was all ice pretty much. So um, Isaac John, who's part of, you know, the he runs the Ice Project and YKTR mm. with the boys. Um, I'm living with Corey Norman at the moment. Oh, how's that been? I come in and just <laughs> yeah. how's, uh, how's Normie as a roommate uh, before we continue? Yeah, good, good. It's, uh, it's a giggle. We keep, each, we keep each other motivated all the time. We have a laugh. <laughs> it's, uh, we have a pun on a sad day and uh, a few other things that we, we can't discuss probably on the podcast. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we, we have fun, don't I can imagine, mate. <laughs> yeah, so when I come home, uh, I've known I for years. He hit me up. He told me to come in and uh, get on, jump on his podcast. And then he sort of, just before we actually did the podcast to talk about my story, mm. he uh, he mentioned that he's, he wanted to start a, a media page for the same sort of thing like I explained. Like, um, a point of difference, like not the same old typical media stuff where you're just chasing headlines and, and whatnot. Mm. And he said he wanted to speak to the boys and get – get the perspective of them being fans and he sort of known that I'd love me NBA and NFL for years and he sort of he felt like there was going to be like a little niche for that yep so he asked me like you know why don't you come on do a podcast for us and just see how it goes so that's that's you know how 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 it started off and then it sort of formed into yeah we're doing there are only so many uh, NFL stories that you can tell about boys getting into the game. So I've had to adapt a little bit and go on a little bit more, you know, footy stories. I've got, you know, some close mates that have come on recently and yep. sort of talking about their story coming through. So it's been good. It's sort of evolving and I'm just just letting it see how it goes, you know. Yeah, but definitely if anyone hasn't checked it out, it's called The Scope. Definitely check out his his episodes with Kieran Forum and Mitchell Pierce is, is stellar and it's only going to get better and better. But have you been over to America and watched any much live sport, Justin? Yeah, I went over to watch uh, Hainsey play when he... Um, oh, you watched his debut game. and stuff. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get a game, get into the game. As soon as he uh, he made the 52, 53-man roster, mm. I um, I messaged him straight away. I said, I'm going to come see, bro. Um, there was a um, few of us. So me and Normie went over. Um, who else was there? Uh, the Wolfman, Hawk, Trent Hawkinson. Yeah, nice, uh, nice he was little there with his, He was traveling the States with his missus. Because me... Me, Hocko, and, and Hainsey had all gone to school together. So yeah, you went it was to pretty Westfield, cool. Like, it was a pretty cool you? moment to watch him and play. Oh, I, it would uh, be. Yeah, really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, mate. What's going on with your tips at the moment? The boys are giving you a little bit of shit about your Super League tips and your other stuff happening, mate. Like, you're going to have a bit of a comeback and go on a yeah, bit of a streak? So, yeah, Scope Specials hasn't hasn't gone that well. And uh, it's it all it's it went that bad that we sort of started playing on it. Like, we, we started to make – we almost started taking the piss out of it. And, like, I was still trying. Like, I'm still trying to get it right, but – for what I don't think anyone could seriously go on a run that that far. Like as long as it's gone, I think I've had like I don't know twenty twenty scope specials, and like only two of them have come off. Like that's just mathematically that's not even possible. So um, I'm not too sure how I how I flip it around or if it's even better for the segment that I just keep losing. Okay, mate, I've got a mate at work actually. He does like on his side little gig is him giving away like tips and all that sort of stuff, but he does quite well. Like, his strike rate's about 90%, and he gives out, like, 50 a week. I'll put you in touch with him. I'm sure you could yeah, have a pretty okay. good conversation for sure, man. Yeah. I think I think the punters would be uh, confused if I actually started putting out winners. They wouldn't know what to do with themselves. <laughs> oh, mate, before we rip into your story, I actually just wanted to just pick your brain a little bit because you mentioned that first podcast that you did with Ice, and what came up that interested me was player management. And obviously, it's a it's an interesting space, and I had a, a bit of a chat to to chat about it, and because I think the the actual value of player management has changed over time. Like, I think they've gone from being you know Mister Ten Percent that, but realistically, a lot, especially from back in the day, a lot of them just negotiate contracts. They don't do a lot outside. So, tell me a little bit about your experiences with your managers and kind of what you see in that space that you can provide. Yeah, I think there's. Um well, the, the thing that the thing that frustrated me the most was there's there's probably about four or five big managing management groups that sort of control the the majority of the NRL, mm. and with with that comes I don't think there's enough like sort of one on one time with managers. It's just basically about you know once contract time comes around, they chat to you for a couple of months, yeah. and, and not ripping my managers in particular. I know this is just across the board, so. I sort of just I knew that there's uh, what I wanted to do was sort of be more hands on. I wanted to mm. um, get into the business, and I still do with the intent of having a capped amount of players. So therefore, I'm able to put in amount of work, whether it be you know sending out a text to cat. Like it, it might not even be realistic in terms of like catching up or whatever, just yeah. to catch up and see how they're going with footy and go. But just in life in general, like it'd just be nice to have a chat with them. Um, and and yeah, even if we can't catch up every couple of weeks and go over you know, what's happening in their life, um, at least you just sort of throw the text out and you're available to. That's mm. what I wanted to. That's the main thing I wanted to be. And I'm and I'm sort of less about the money. Like, you know, you, you need to make money as well in, in a business and mm. I'm aware, aware of that. But it's less about I sort of want to be like a mentor, like a one-on-one, hands-on. I want to be involved in like if they, if they ask me for tips with regards to, you know, what the way they carry themselves with footy, you know, what else is, what else is out there, um, you know, doing some video with them and, and things like that. Uh, so essentially I would have to align myself with someone who's, knows the the ins and outs, the paperwork and all that sort of stuff because I didn't really mm. see myself as that sort of guy. So me and um, me and Luke Burgess in particular have looked at it and we still might look at it in the future. Obviously, with what's going on, it's, it's put everything on a bit of a hold. Um, but I'm still I'm still keeping myself um, 
in contact with people in the right circles with regards to player management. I'm, I'm still having conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't, you know, probably, it's probably not smart to mention names, but yeah, I've been reaching out to people and, um, you know, I've, uh, a couple, one guy in particular has, has become a bit of a mentor for me. So I'm just, I'm chatting to him all the time about, you know, what it might look like in, in six to 12 months, um, you know, starting it up from scratch. So yeah, I've still got it in the back of my mind, mate. Yeah. I think it's a big opportunity, especially right now. I think what the isolation period showed was the players probably haven't got a lot going off, off the field. So there was some really good ones that have leveraged really well. Cause you know, I was like, you've just retired. You know that during your peak of your powers, that's when you're going to be most valuable to things like sponsors, to people on social media. So creating a presence for yourself outside of the game, being more than just a football player. So that includes doing things like podcasts, vlogs, social media, Instagram stories, you know, sponsors, ambassadorship, education. There's just a whole heap of things that I think people and the show that the players are very un- underprepared at the moment. So if they can get good mentors yeah. right now, I think there is an opportunity in the space. And I think that six-month period could actually work out pretty well for you. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing you said with regards to – so this guy that's come on, on board and he's helping me out, he's sort of becoming a mentor for me. Is I don't think you can force it to. You've just got to – what you've got to do is you've got to let yourself open to meeting new people. Um, like, a, like you said, doing things like a podcast. And I even said to, to the guy that's helped me out, like I said, five years ago, like six years ago, just before I left there, and it, mm. NRL, I wouldn't have been open to meeting a guy like you and, and having these sorts of conversations and talking about life after footy. Um, but, you know, so, like I'm in a good space now. Um, I understand that, you know, I think in particular going overseas and we'll probably get to that, that it sort of opened my mm. opened my eyes to, you know, we live, we're in a bit of a bubble over here in, in Sydney and Queensland in particular in the rugby league. Like I grew up in Western Sydney, so like everything's been footy-footy like pretty much my whole life. And then once you... Uh, once you go overseas, your eyes up a little bit. And, yeah, I think it's important to just, just have conversations and, and leave yourself open. You don't have to commit to anything, but, um, you know, try to surround yourself with good people who have good intentions and, and go from mm, there. For sure. Justin, can I put a guest request for the potty, mate? Yeah. Mate. You want to jump on? No, no, no. You're not me. You're old boy. Oh, you, yeah. you, you need to do a podcast with your, your dad. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've a few people have asked me to do that. Yeah. So. It's definitely in the works. For sure, um, because I remember, because I grew up at Western Sydney as well, and I remember refereeing yourself at Cambo, but your, yeah. your old man was like really, like he would always come up and say hello because he would see us because yeah. we used to do junior reps. So we used to do the mats ball and then also yeah. go back and do on the on the weekend referee district as well. But your dad used to always, always, you know, get out, go out of his way to say hello. And then he also, mate, he actually kind of turned us into men as well because he invited us to A-grade training at Cambo once. So we're like yeah. 17, 18 year olds refereeing A grade, but we're still kids. But he yeah. invited us down just to see what it's like to re- like train with the you know older boys. With yeah, mate, it was intense. Like I remember doing these push up, these push up holds, and we're yeah. just like these young kids doing these push up holds with like thirty year olds. It really showed us kind of like because we hadn't like cause I stopped playing when I was sixteen when I started refereeing. Yeah. And yeah, I remember them. He used to do those for us too. So you'd go like you'd go one. And he would have hold, to hold. hold. And then, I'm going, yeah, what the fuck and then is going go, on? And then you'd be able to come up. And yeah, I remember those. We used to do those all the time too. But yeah, I think, yeah, a podcast, because I just did one with my mum, just because I was going to start something on the side where I just interview people just for their own. And it went for three hours. But I got to ask mum questions that I wouldn't naturally ask her at like the dinner table. And it just, the yeah. conversation flowed about her story. And I just got to know her even better and just 
I think a podcast with your dad would be awesome, man. Yeah, that's a yeah, good idea. Yeah, it's been mentioned before. Um, yeah, I'll have to hit him up. I, I reckon he'll be pretty, pretty, pretty keen to jump on. Um, I, was, I was thinking about maybe even getting him and one of his teammates to just talk about the old times. You know how like, I generally like getting a couple of boys on yeah. together and then uh, mind telling them when he used to show us old video clips. But um, yeah, yeah, good idea, mate. I'll, I'll look into that. I'd say you should get him on with, should get him on with Olsen Filipana. Olsen, geez, that's a throwback. I'm pretty sure they would. They would have played together. Not many people know about Olsen. Yeah, he just brought a book yeah, out too. Yeah, they would have played for the Kiwi back in the '80s. He'd be keen because yeah. I spoke to him a couple of months ago because he brought a book out like last month or something. So I reckon he'd be keen. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have to. Uh, I have to speak to. Him. I think with me and Dad have talked about getting David Kidwell on. Oh yeah, that'd be pretty uh, when cool I did too. some time with like, New Zealand Maldives with him, mm. and he would have some pretty good stories. So. Uh, when I was in the camp, I asked, I sort of uh, asked if you'd come on. So I might get them two on together because they wanted to. They're still involved in the New Zealand Maori Rugby League, and uh, they wanted to, you know, make sure that spectacle, like how good that that uh, Indigenous game was on the Gold Coast just recently. Mm. So they just want to make sure that that keeps going, and I think they're they're in talks with the NRL about, you know, making that a, a permanent spot in the calendar, which I think would be good for. You know, both the Aboriginals and the New Zealand Maori. Yeah, totally agree, man. So, mate, take me a little bit back to the start because you're New Zealand born. You're born in Auckland, and you stayed there to what you were three because you went to England. Yeah, yeah, we were. So when I was three, we I think Dad I might have been a bit younger. A couple when I was two, Dad took us over to Salford. He played a couple of years in in the Super League, and then uh, we moved to Australia when I was yeah about three, three and a half, and that's when Dad. Secured a contract with Parramatta. Mm. Grew up in in Western Western Sydney my whole life. Dad played for Parramatta. We we had two years where he went to, went and played for the Warriors. So yeah. where did you was, where did you guys live in Sydney, Cambo? No, we lived in St Clair. Okay. Yeah, so we lived in St Clair. I played for the Comets originally growing up, and then when we went to uh, when Dad played for the Warriors for, for those two years, um, when I'd come back. Mm. Uh, just going into high school, all my mates had moved and gone over to Cambo. Okay. One, one of my good mates in particular, so I just followed him over, and um, yeah, that, that was good. We had a pretty good team. You guys had like you came into the team with like Keith Peters, Junior Moores, and all those boys. Didn't yeah, you? all those those boys are just guns. Like you probably remember now, like talking about you know reffing back in those days. It was a uh, um, tackle one, pass it to Keith. If he didn't score, tackle two, <laughs> give it to Junior. But how did you, one question, like, because you were playing for the Roosters SG ball, but you were yeah. playing in the Penrith district. Did you have to get, like, a permission, special permission to do that? No. So I never got um, I never got any uh, – I never got picked for the Penrith teams or, yeah, okay. or Parramatta teams. So it wasn't until um, my last year of high school playing open to Westfield Sports that mm. – uh, that's when Artie Beetson come and watched a, like I think they used to call them Arrival Live games back then. Yeah, they did. Um, Artie Beetson was recruited me. He got me over to the, to come play at the Roosters on a like a scholarship contract. It was like no, pretty much no cash. Just um, they come over and play SG Ball. Um, that year they recruited a, a whole heap of players from all over because the as you know probably the East Comp's not that strong in the juniors. Yeah. So. They, picked, they plucked a few from Penrith Comp, a few from Canterbury Comp, and uh, we had a pretty good year that year, and that was my first taste of rep footy. Um, that year, actually, Penrith had come knocking. Um, mm. they, they offered me um, a spot in the SG Ball team, okay. but I was, I was a bit filthy that I'd never got picked for probably 
I did probably deserve to be picked probably just the year before. Yeah. Um, when um, in the in the SG Bulls age changed from 17 to 18s, and I thought I deserved to be picked because I started, you know, filling out and was. Um, uh, but I, we we played for Cambridge Park, and as you know, out in, out in those comps, Western Sydney, comps, majority man. of the players are from some areas. So yeah, um, I had a bit of a sook, but it was it was the best thing for me. I got to go over to the um, eastern suburbs, and like I said, growing up in Western Sydney my whole life, and just that was a whole new. Um, a little adventure for me, like Jeez. leaving Western Sydney. So your, your parents would have done some some kilometres. Like I'm sure what they'd, they'd have to drive you to Fairfield for school, and then what was it, Marrickville at Henson Park? You were training. Yeah, no. So they didn't. I was on train and bus everywhere, mate. Really? So, oh, yeah. Jesus! So I I did from from like 13, probably from like 13 or 14. So year eight in high school. Yeah. Everywhere was train and bus for me. I refused to get on public transport. Now I I felt like <laughs> I spent like. Half of my life from uh, year year eight, pretty much to year twelve on until I got my license. Obviously, once I got my my red P's, I was um, I got a contract and signed in the under twenties as well. So I had enough money to pay for petrol money. Yeah, to Mate, get there and you would have been but, getting home at eleven yeah. o'clock at night. Oh yeah, some of the um, and some of those train stations in particular were like because we we had like where um, it was pretty good school like Westfield Sports. We, yeah, yeah. we've got. Um, you got the pants, tie, collared shirt, and all that, and yeah. So the the train stations that I'd frequent were Caparmata, Granville, and Mount Druitt. So oh, that sounds it safe. Just, <laughs> it was just potentially on all the time, like, yeah. at, at all of those, and um, yeah, it was it was it was cool though. Like it, I sort of had to grow up pretty quickly, um, because you know you you sort of look at someone, you know, you know what kids can be like around those age. You look at someone the wrong yeah. way. Um, in, when you're in those areas in particular, and it could be for sure, man, you could get yourself in a bit of trouble. So, um, yeah. How old were you when you met? Because your school, what you had, what Kristen Inu, Jared Hayne, you had Faletti Matteo too, didn't you? Yeah. So Faletti was only there for the first couple of years, and then he, he went Terra Sancta, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, but we had, um, yeah. So Hainsey was a couple of years younger. Me and Inu were pretty much best mates. We, yep. um, we, he, we were in the same year, and we. He was a year below, but we we're in the same year, and we were in all our classes together, mm. um, which wasn't isn't um, something to be proud of from both of us because we'll, we we had the rated classes, and but we got into a bit of we had a bit of fun. <laughs> um, Blake Green was there; he was like yeah. one of our good mates. He was like um, he was a gun too. Though, yeah, he was he was the the straighty one eighty. He was like the big brother for us, even though he was, <laughs> the he was mentor. Always trying to keep us in line and making sure because we had pretty strict rules about you know. Completing schoolwork to make sure we could play footy. So, Greeny was always into us about making sure we were on top of our studies, which is good. I look back on that. I'm probably going to get Greeny on a podcast too soon. Too. Yeah, that'll be good for um, sure. But yeah, um, look, uh, rec- so the guys that the gun age was two years below us, and that was um, uh, Hainsey, uh, Trent Hawkinson, Tony Williams, Chris Keating played first grade. Um, yeah, and there was a few others. I'm probably going to forget a few others, but yeah, yeah. A, they had a decent age that age, two years below. Yeah, it was gone. Hey, just back to your dad's career. What do you remember? Because I know that you know by the time probably gets to because I was lucky. I'm about how old are you now? Thirty three. So I'm thirty seven. So I'm four years older than you. So I was lucky because I was growing up. My brother's a big Parramatta fan, so he used to drag me to games at Paris Stadium. So I actually got to see your your dad actually play live, and I remember a lot of his games, and he was a beast. 
especially in defense. You're a little bit like taller than him. He's a little bit wider than you. But what do you remember kind of of your, of your dad's career? Yeah, just the tackling machine, mate. Toiler, speak to a few of the boys, some, some ex-players from over the years. And he was just that reliable guy through the middle that, um, you know, everyone could count on. Um, he's a little, like pretty much the polar opposite to me. Like he played in the middle, loved all the tough stuff and, and getting into it. And I used to like sitting out on the edge and trying to scoop on a few loose balls and, and a few four-pointers. So it's uh, it was funny that I, I still like to think that I got some of that um, – some of his traits in, in terms of like, you know, I was, oh, he just pretty much trained me from, and like, and not even probably realizing I just did everything with him when I was younger. So, yeah. you know, when he was at Parramatta, um, he used to go down the, to the local pool down at Ripples and Samaries and swim laps all the time. <laughs> and I was in there with him. And then sometimes we'd do park runs or would play touch footy on a, yeah. on a casual pickup game on a Sunday. And just all those things, I think obviously he helped me become the player and, and it also gave me that competitive edge because it used to frustrate me as a kid not being able to keep up with him. Yeah. So, and he would never, never take it easy on me, which was good. I think in particular, like we played a, a game of touch. Like I used to be big on his. He coached me in the in the younger years, and yep. we played a game of touch. And I he used to get into me about like not diving, like you know, going all out and making sure trying to save the tries. And one time I did and broke my collarbone, and. Uh, and I told him I'd broken my collarbone. I, was, I, was like, I didn't know exactly what it was. Yeah. But uh, he just he, he told me, he, he said, you'll be all right. Like sort of just get up and they finished the game of touch for the next half an hour. <laughs> and then, yeah, I ended up going to the hospital and sure enough, broken collarbone. I think I was like 13 years old. So I'm just sitting in the cold on a, you know, it's like in some of those Western yeah. Sydney nights out there. And But those are all like, good, you know, I appreciate that now because it Where was that at the Kingsway? sort of to who I am, yeah. Was that the Kingsway? Not the Kings, but that was at Cambridge Park. Um, it wasn't like it was touch. We were, we were playing for Cambridge Park. He was our coach and we used to warm up with the game of touch. Yeah. So we used to play 15 minutes of just touch, warming up, and then we'd get into some ball work stuff. So we played touch. I, you know, I'd, I'd dive and try to get a guy, break me collarbone, and then he finished off the training session, made sure the boys did, <laughs> <laughs> got through their sets, and then and then obviously he seen how much pain I was in by the end of the training session, and I told him, like, you're going to fucking have to take me to hospital. <laughs> Mate, you know it's been a little bit colder this week. Remember those days yeah. at, at Hickey's Lane when it was like nine, ten a.m. and oh, you literally mate. could not see anything. Yeah, yeah. Those that, it's it's obviously you know, I'm living in the beach out of Cronulla now, and I went out to Western Sydney to see my mate. Only a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't hadn't even been that cold yet, but it's still that little bit fresher in the mornings. Yeah, there. for sure, mate. Mate, were you a ball boy at the Warriors? No, I wasn't a ball boy. I used to run. I used to run him out of the tunnel. That's what so, I want to ask you. You know how like there's got that far tunnel on just like yeah. the corner. It looks yeah. scary. What's going on in that tunnel? I used to hate it, mate. I used to fucking. I used to dread it. Dad thought it would be sort of good for me for me confidence. He knew I, I, I loved hanging around the boys. I just didn't want to run him out of that tunnel. I don't know. And that tunnel was weird too because it had like. I remember there was like paintings of all like old warrior figures yeah. like through that tunnel as you would run out. So I remember being a kid, I was like, I used to, pro- I think, proper shit myself. And then I used to run them out of that tunnel. The drums would be pumping. And then I would sprint, like just cane it across the field, run up straight up the stairs and mum would have a jacket ready for me. And <laughs> you know, I'd go sit with mum in the, up, in the, uh, up in the nosebleeds. And yeah, I think I, yeah, I did it maybe you know, half a dozen times, but um now, like I said, it's one of those another thing, one of those things I appreciate. Like Dad was right. Like mm. now, it was pretty cool that 
that, that's a memory that I've got with dad, um, being able to run him out. Like it, it obviously meant heaps to dad too back in those days to have his son running him out. So yeah. um, it's, one of the, it's one of those cool things I look back on now, but at the time I hated it. <laughs> Remember those first few games when they used to have the fire as well? Yeah, the fire used to come up. You would have been shitting yeah, yourself. Were, they were awesome. The build up to the Warriors games. I've seen some of the old old clips because Dad's got some old videos, and yeah, we've watched some old tape before, which is which is pretty cool. And yeah, they, they've got they've got a good setup. It's um, almost like sort of what they do in the states. The, the amount of effort that they put into the pregame and that it's good. Yeah, what what's your dad doing now? Is he still involved in rugby league? Yeah, um, he's just coaching. He's been coaching my brothers out in A grade out at Glenmore Park, so okay. still Western Sydney, um, helping out there. And uh, no, he's selling chemicals, mate. He's uh, my mum's um, side of the family have been involved in um, you know cleansing, which is you mm. know it's going really good for him at the moment. He sells bulk chemicals to you know factories or um, you know those sorts of things. So yeah, yeah he's going all right. Cool, mate. They used to they used to do like the housing for the young kids, right? How did that work out? Like, did they were you guys living close, or did you guys live on like a like? How did that work out with? Yeah, like- so um, yeah, this is when we were living out in Sinclair. Dad was helping out with coaching. He wanted to get into coaching, so he was doing junior development at Parramatta. Mm. And a guy called Kevin Wise, who used to, um, I'm not too sure if he's still involved with Parramatta, but he was the guy that used to look at look after the junior development. He he asked Dad to come across, look after one of the houses. Um. And with the, so the house was paid for by Parramatta, and we we like our family moved in. My yeah. parents were the house parents. So any of the young kids that had come down, I think they were around the ages of like sixteen, seventeen. Um, Benny Smith, who played, had a, yeah. a really good career at Parramatta. He was he was the OG. He was him and three other guys. Um, Jack Afamasanga that played a fair bit of first grade. I oh, played some first grade at Parry and then went, went to play on a fair bit at Manly. Yep. Uh, Weller Haraki. Like a couple of those guys in particular, Weller. Uh, Weller's like family to us now with his family. Mm. Um, he, he reaches out to – he probably dad – Weller's only a year older than me, but him and dad become really close yep. in their families because um, his his partner, Jen, moved over at one point and she was staying with us. And, um, yeah, so – we those were awesome. Hainsey come through that again. So okay. uh, Hainsey lived with us for, for a couple of years. Benny Farrah, uh, Daniel Mortimer, Anthony Mitchell. So Jesus, you're not short of the boys. Wow. Yeah, like a few of the boys come through. And, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to see. Like a lot of us are now like – I think the, the best part about it all is like mum and dad have been invited to a few weddings from yeah. over the years. So, you know, obviously developing those connections with those boys. Mm. Um, Shows the really impact important. that they've had on their lives too. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's really nice for mum and dad. And then obviously me, myself, becoming, you know, I'm really close mates with them and I, you know, text them and try to catch up whenever we can too. So, yeah, pretty cool. Ah, good stuff, mate. So when you moved to the Roosters, did you did you move out to the East? No, no. I, I, was, I was attempting to at one point and then just financially, like I said, I was – Probably just had enough to fill up my petrol. Yeah. Um, being, obviously, being a 20s contract. So, no, I just travelled from the Parramatta house all the time. Yeah. Most of the time, I'd I'd go just up Parramatta Road. and But if I was running late, I'd, I'd head up the M2 because it's right off Windsor Road there. But it, yeah. the tolls would kill me. Like oh, no doubt. I'd get hammered <laughs> with tolls going the other way. So, yeah. How was, mate. how was that kind of period? Because what Ricky Stewart was in charge was Freddie. That was Freddie's last year when you would have been playing flag, wasn't it? Yeah, Freddie. No, Freddie's last year was when I was playing SG ball, and then when I got called into the twenties, I did some part time, full time, where yeah. we would train just a couple of times a week with the first grade team mm. and the and the like the yeah. So 
was like the top 30 and then we had about handpicked about five or six of us to come up and train with them from the 20s which was cool as that freddie just retired but he's still around i think he was assistant coach um but like yeah some of the obviously the, the boys from those rooster years and that was just fucking unreal like they were weapons that trained them too so i can imagine like um, mini and all those guys was pretty cool because yeah, getting to compete with those guys doing sand hills and coochie stairs and like we only got invited to really be battering rams. Really like, <laughs> like someone's got to do I it. I think Vicky just wanted to test us and see, you know, what sort of characters we were and if we could handle with the big boys. So yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, mate. What was it like? Because you know, at this stage, you're kind of like between that eighteen and twenty years old, so you're becoming a young man. Like your dad achieved a lot in the game. Did you ever feel kind of pressure to to carry that horror name into the next level? Um, not really at the Roosters. I think that was a part of moving over to the Roosters in particular, like when I could have stayed at Penrith because mm. dad was so entrenched with uh, Penrith and Parramatta junior football um, from coaching. He obviously coached our, our Cambridge Park team and he was doing junior development stuff at Parramatta. Yep. When, I, when I went to the Roosters, it was pretty much like a fresh start for me. And like dad, like I said, dad was really popular in Western Sydney, but probably not so much within... Um, like obviously the coaches and all that knew about him and like Ricky Stewart and all those guys knew who he was. And I think uh, Shane Flanagan was assistant coach at the Roosters. He played with my dad. Yeah. So he'd asked me questions about yeah, how he was going and whatnot, but it was almost like a fresh start for me over there. And I was sort of just, you know, finding myself anyway. So um, no, I didn't feel any pressure going to the Roosters. And, you know, I think, yeah, in particular, that's why I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Now, you know, you just mentioned that they were including you and all those different, you know, training things and, in terms of like feedback, in terms of you getting to that next level and playing first grade, what what was the kind of feedback then? Um, it was um, it was pretty hard feedback. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they were pretty straight up with that. Like, I didn't get any. There wasn't anything really positive. Like, they were just. I used to. We used to get ripped. Right? Yeah. Like, we were just younger guys, and and now, like I like I said, now that I look back on it. Um, it was just. I think it was just basically they were just trying to test us and see what sort of characters we were. There was no – I think I think eventually if I'd gotten the first grade there, things would have changed a little bit. But, um, yeah, it was it was, it was was tough love definitely at the Roosters. It was um, very little chat with – I think I, I turned up with a, a rat's tail. I used to have a rat's tail <laughs> for my first training session. And uh, we were doing Centennial Park and um, – First thing that Sticky ever said to me was, uh, "If you if you turn up with that rat's tail next session, you can just fuck off home." So, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was different back then too, mate. That was that's two thousand and four, two thousand and five. Yeah. You know, people a little bit more Larry these days, but that was still the back end of the old school. So yeah, I, I'd been growing that rat's tail for about fucking two years. It was <laughs> fucking disgusting. <laughs> now I look back at it, I don't know what I was thinking. So. Um, but you would have got some good mentors, right? Because Fitzy was still there. Was oh yeah, gun. Yeah. Like the players were mad. Um, I used to like follow Finchy around everywhere I could. I, I, <laughs> like I really Finch because I. He was just funny. He was the he was the um, he was the one that used to make everyone laugh. Like even even the big dogs. He was the uh, the life of the party. Yeah. You know what I mean. So every um, team needs one, but. Yeah, and I and I used to I sort of used to see myself as that for, for my age. Yeah. So once I once I seen that Finchy was that guy, I used to sort of, you know, try to like especially if we're out like if we, if we were out in the eastern suburbs where it might be at Ravisi's or Beach Road or whatever, I'd go say say hi to Finchy and try hanging out with the first graders. 
Um, and, but those boys are unreal, mate. Finchie would always give you the time of day, give you five minutes, you chat to him. I tried to like half talk footy, you'd tell me, like, you, you could tell me, like, that's enough, young. And fella, fuck off. And, um, and then he ended up going to Parra, and we become like, yeah, pretty good mates with him now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those guys in between, Finchie and um, Fitzy, Fitzy was really good. I was young back rower. Mm. Um, I used to be get put in a lot of groups with him um, with, with regards to training. And just watching him train all the time, like he was like still to this day, he's one of the fittest players I've ever um, been around. I guess it's that party hard but train harder, right? Yeah, like those boys in particular lived and breathed that. Mm. Um, them and the Bulldogs boys in those times, I ended up finding becoming a lot closer with the Bulldogs boys later on. And um, that's how they sort of lived their life, and especially at the Roosters. I don't think Fitzy was as big of a, like, a, you know, that, that party, um, yeah. Eastern Suburbs party animal. He was... You know, he didn't mind a beer in that, but um, just just watching him train, the way he conducted himself, like the professionalism, um, how much respect he had within the group, mm. it's, it, it definitely rubbed off of me. And you know, I, he's still you know highly respected in that Roosters team now. I spoke to Piercy about that recently. We talked yeah. about some of the guys that that he looked up to, and Piercy sort of seen him in the same way, even though they were different positions. Yeah. Now, mate, what's this? I hear you're nearly going to join the Pia Donkeys, mate. Pia Donkeys, yeah. Imagine you went to Pia Donkeys. You would never live that one down, mate. Yeah, well, I actually spent a bit of time around Pia when I played at Catalans, and it's it's a nice joint, but it's a it's a, a shit. It name. wasn't the, it wasn't the best football <laughs> situation, put it that way. They could be the Pia Sharks or something, Pia Tigers. Yeah. The Donkey, yeah. What's doing with the name? Like um, that that threw me. Yeah. So after those years in the twenties, um, probably got a little bit carried away. Um, thought I was killing it a bit, got a bit ahead of myself, and then I yeah. didn't have a contract for. Um, for anywhere after that. So I had to go back to – this is when I went back to Parramatta, had mm. some part-time, full-time, and then I was toiling away in reserve grade for two years. And um, at one point, it looked like it was it was trending up. I had a good year the first year, and Michael Hagen re-signed me for, for a year to come up and train full-time. But then he mm. he moved on. Daniel Anderson come in, and that first year under Ando wasn't good. Like, he – there was like you know six or seven young guys that had been um, signed from Michael Hagen, and mm. you know I like I was one of them, and like Ando didn't sign us, so when we had to pr- yeah. sort of like prove ourselves again, and um, and I didn't feel like it was going well at all, like and he was pretty like he's another one of those guys he he doesn't sugarcoat it, mm. fucking we, we, we like you sort of know when you're in those reserve grade teams that you're there to be the battering rams, and so. Um, yeah, he was pretty tough. And then so at that point, I was like, fuck, well, I'm never going to play first grade under Ando. I'm 22 years old, 20, going about to turn 23. The year I was thinking about leaving, I was like, fuck, I might as well just, you know, go play local. My mates, two of my mates were playing local league in France, yeah. French comp. And then they were getting on the red wines fucking every weekend. and <laughs> Traveling, me, yeah. Yeah, they were on Facebook and, yeah, it's, it's all these pictures, like, you know, around the mountains and south of France. I'm just like, fuck, how good's that? Like. If I'm not going to play first grade, you know, I'll go and do some of that. And, and then so I went in to see my manager and I got sent a contract, um, just this paper wall in French. And I'm like, fuck, what's this? So I, I don't know what's doing. So <laughs> What do they offer you? Like back in, was Peter? Um, accommodation, car paid for. Yeah. And fuck, I think it was like 250. No, wait. Yeah. So it was maybe 2,000 euro per month. Yeah. So this is like a true gap. This is like a gap year, really. It's not really. Yeah, you're not going. Yeah, for the- pretty much just tr- just enough to get by in trouble, mate. That's mm. all, that's all the way I was looking at it. Play a bit of footy, um, and it was only like 
a six month contract too. I don't think it was even full year. Like you yeah. go over, I saw yeah. Like I went over and a few a few of my mates had taken that contract, and when I played over at Cadland, some of the situations that those guys they think when they hear South of France, they think, "Oh yeah," like I did. Um, mate, it's it's not the, it's not the living. They they put you in the slums. They give you like a dog shit car. Um, some better than others. It depends on your reputation and what sort of player you were. So yeah. if you, you, maybe some of the boys that gone over have gone and played a bit of first grade. They've got some pretty good deals. But yeah, I can't imagine it would have been that great for me. I I played like you know twenty or thirty reserve grade games at that point. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was just going over there to have a bit of fun, mate. But uh, I'm glad that didn't. It, I'm glad I got to go over there and. Uh, play in the south of France for the Catalan Dragons rather than the Pea Donkey. Oh, no doubt. We'll touch on that a little bit later. But, mate, that 2009 season, like me and my mate were just having a few beers on Friday night. They replayed that prelim between the Doggies yeah. and Parramatta. But for you that wasn't playing first grade, you would have watched so much of that and just saw the entire run firsthand and been in the dressing room every single week, mate. What was it like to be around that that Parramatta team during that that time? Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I, was, I was sort of looking back. I, I, did, I did a podcast with with bloke in the bar um, a couple of months ago, and I think I sort of undersold that team because I just like how good Hainsey was. Mm. But uh, you look back on you know how Fully was playing during those years. Obviously, Hindy, um Guru off the wing was unbelievable. Yeah, Lukey Burt was um, so creative for a winger. Um, yeah, I was. I think I think I might have seen a few highlights from. Um, it wasn't the Bulldogs game, it was the Tigers game when yeah. Hainsey did that chip, that and, chip and chase. chase yeah. And I've, and I've just seen how, like, fuck, that team was was just flying that year. I was 18th man to make my debut on, like, four occasions that year. So it was bittersweet for me. Yeah, I, I can was, imagine. I was so close and I think um, – But you're right about the balance of that team because just say you know, Robbo was halfback, right? Yeah. If, if you make someone like, say, Mitchell Pierce halfback, all of a sudden, that changes the dime, that dynamic of the team because obviously yeah. Robbo's a very team orientated player, so he's looking to pass first. Do you know what I mean like you're right? They just had the right chinks to make Jared Hayne as good as he was, I reckon. Yeah, well, it was perfect. Yes, um, Robbo was the perfect guy because he just, like you said, stood and delivered. He he, he worked the middle around. Um, Morty was just a kid; he was a rookie, so Morty was just playing off. Mm. Running off the back of Folletti, Fui, Hindy had a really good offload. That was Morty's role. Like it, it was just the perfect balance of of a team. And um, once that once that run started from like round fifteen or round sixteen onwards or whatever, um, it was just yeah, like I said, being lucky enough to just be in the sheds, potentially like warming up with them sometimes, feeling the atmosphere. Um, you know, getting getting pretty close to playing on a few occasions and. Uh, it was it was it was pretty it was a pretty crazy experience and um, I just like just before every game you just felt like they were going to win every game that's yeah. that's what it felt like you what just was, didn't think they were going to lose all the way to the grand final. I've got Nathan Kalos on on Friday. What was he like as a captain? Yeah, Kalo was really good. He's a bit like um, Fitzy. He wasn't. Mm. He was a lead by example sort of guy. Didn't really sort of enjoyed those captains. More than than Rara captains, some guys I, I felt I felt like those were always the better captains, the guys that didn't have to say too much. They just lead by example. I'd imagine, like when it, when I actually got to play with him, and um, when it come to the finer detail of you know what was expected in the games, mm. that's when he would kind of step in. Kalo, I felt like, yeah. And um, you so, so Hindy was sort of the same, like. Heinze, I think I think even like ask Kayla. I don't think Heinze enjoyed being 
and captain. Like it didn't sort of suit him. But mm. those guys in particular was just toys. They worked their ass off. Um, Kalo had a really good year that year. I think I think Kalo might have tore his bicep just before that grand final or something in 2009. And I think he missed the grand final. Did he miss it? Because yeah. Well, I think he played the prelim, didn't he? But he sat on the bench for – it might have been in the prelim because he sat on the bench for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think he might have missed that grand final, which was obviously a big loss because he was on fire that year as well. Him and Fui were the perfect balance of like, – you know, and then they had Timmy Manor come off the bench as well. And Timmy was like, oh, you know, come on, that was his rookie yeah, year. Rookie. That was just like a really good rotation of front rowers because Fui's the X factor. He was coming off the back fence every time. How mad is it when Fui, the crowd's going, Fui – yeah, yeah, and then probably Kalo was making all his tackles because Fui was too was too tired in defence. So, um, yeah, it was uh, yeah they had a really good mix, mate. That, those forwards and um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Like being a Kiwi, um, mm. Kiwi captain as well for me. Being a very proud Kiwi, it was pretty cool to come through with Kalo as my captain in those early years. Mm. So, mate, take me to 2010, you know, your debut, you you got a, a little bit different to everyone else because you find out pretty late that you're going to be debuting. Take me through that call that, that you had with Daniel Anderson. Um, yeah, so I was just having an app in the Arvo. I was 18th man, but I've said this before, uh, was, you sort of get a feeling if you're going to debut or you know because mm. if a guy's injured, no one was injured. So I was like, oh, yeah, sweet, captain's run. Like I've been 18th man like six times in the last year. It's just like another day, like I'm I'm just going to turn up, you know, um, hold the pads during the warm-up and then go get changed and potentially wait for, you know, I'd know early in the week. And Ando called me at 3.30. As soon as I seen his num- 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 uh, number come up, I was like, fuck, I'm on here. I'm going to play. Uh, yeah, so Morty got sick. He he got the he got the flu. Uh, I don't think it was – it's not – it wasn't corona. It was uh, – it might have just been the, the uh, normal cold and flu or whatever and um, – he moved Felitti to six. Felitti yeah. played six and I got a spot on the bench. So, yeah, we played against the Tigers. Um, there was a lot of hype around that game. You know, those were the Benji Farry years when they're prime. They were killing it, you know, not too far removed from their grand final. Like, you know, they were still, um, you know, killing it around those years. And, uh, yeah, it was, pretty, it, was a, it was a good game to be a part of. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Felitti. I remember watching him for the first time. You know, we talked about you guys going to school before, but it was actually when he switched to Terrasancta and he was 16. And they were inside their own 20, and he kicked a 40-20 from his own 20. <laughs> and I'm going, and he looked like kind of, he was massive. He was six foot three yeah. when he was bloody 16. He's a freak, mate. Filetti probably, hands down, like, I'm sure I was trying to think about some of the more talented players I've ever played with. Probably Filetti, Filetti, Hainsey, and Dave Taylor. Like, mm. they, could, they could do anything and, and everything, like the speed, combination of skill and everything they put together. Flitty used to hold the ball like it was like a tennis yeah, ball. Yeah, like an NBA yeah. player. Stand, stand there. And he was, he was gun basketballer too, so that obviously helped. Yeah, I can imagine, man. And uh, yeah, he had, he had all the tricks in the book from, yeah, fifth, like 15, 16, he really came into his own when he went to Terra Sancta and played like their schoolboy footy team was just unbeatable. Oh, they were killer. And a few other guys that were yeah. heaps of strangers a part yeah, of that team. For sure. Mate, t- talk to me a little bit about your time at Manly because I'm good mates with Donnie Singe. And obviously, no. mate, it's, it's funny that, you know, we talk about players coming on the podcast. I, I had Donnie on the podcast about a month ago. His yeah. episode has gone through the roof. Yeah. People will just absolutely respect him in rugby league. But talk to me a little bit about the culture that maybe Tooves and uh, Donnie brought to the table. Yeah, well, obviously, the big big part of that is Desi before, before, even before them. Mm. Um, 
that that culture was so set and a lot of teams try to to manufacture that culture uh like a winning culture and a and an old school culture they just i think desi had obviously established that for years and the players just passed it down when i when i went over to them i'd, I'd been dropped the year before at Parramatta. um we we were i think we got the spoon that year mm. um it was a really tough year personally for me and to go over there and just you know basically all i did was concentrate on playing back row for the on a star-studded left edge in a star-studded team. God, mate. simplified everything like... Yeah, they got every little inch of talent out of you, mate, that year. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all it was. I think I didn't overcomplicate things. When I I re-signed at Para, I probably got a bit ahead of myself and thought, you know, probably I had guys like Folletti that moved on, um, had gone to the Warriors, and I sort of of half tried to develop like an offload in my game, which probably didn't suit me. Mm. And... um, when I was at Manly, all I, basically all I knew, if I just run me lines the best, as, as fast and hard as I could, one, I might score a try because there's plenty of gaps all, you know, all over the field when I played in that team. And, yeah. and the other, I'd, you know, I'd, if I run a good line, I set it up for, you know, at the back. And, and if I can give Snake a three-on-two at the back of my lines, then it's pretty much try time every time with, with him out the back or, or Fozzie or Chaz, you know, so. Yeah, man, I remember this game that you played against Cronulla. It was early in the season in 2013, and you were just running hard lines off Kieran Forum, and you scored early in that game, but you gave Luke Lewis an absolute nightmare that game. It just, because I went to re- uh, watch one of my ref mates just actually ref the game, but that's what yeah. sticks to me today, and that was kind of, I reckon, you're coming out. It was very early in the season, but you are running these lines so hard, man, but that early yeah. try, you just literally well, snapped Lewis. I gained a lot of confidence for that game. That was the... Um, me and, me and Toddy Carney end up having a laugh about that over in Catalans. That was uh, Todd Carney's Slim Shady game. When yeah, he it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was on our edge. And, uh, um, yeah, like, Luke, guys like Luke Lewis and, and Paul Gallon and, and, you know, Wade Graham was coming. You know, there's um, there another guy too. Uh, I forget, I'm right, Bakuya? The back row, uh, Bakuya. Yeah. Did you say Bakuya? Yeah, Bakuya. Yeah, Bakuya yeah. Was, he was over there as well and uh, – that was a big confidence builder for me because, you know, the Sharks were a really good, gritty team. And, mm. and my years at Parra, we always struggled against them. So you're saying that I had a good game against Luke Lewis. I probably owed him one. He, he probably got six over me in the in my previous three years. So, um, yeah, I, I, I remember that game because that was that was a game that sort of stood out for me. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I sort of belong here at Manly. Yeah. Like, I, I felt like I belong. So I'm starting to find myself. Um so yeah, it was a, that was a pretty important game for me at Manly that year. Yeah, did you move over to the beaches that year? Yeah, yeah. Finally, yeah. close to training. Finally, mate. Mate, and uh, I've been chasing the beaches ever since, and um, that's why I'm you know over in Cronulla, I I uh, went to the south of France when the opportunity come up to uh, uh, play over in the Super League. I love the beaches. I love Manly. I've got ideally, I'd probably you know like to settle down there when I'm all, when it's all said and done. I love that part of the world. And, Part of Sydney, so yeah. So, guys, he lives with Corey Norman. So, <laughs> give me a few little insights on, you know, who's the cook around the the place, who's clean, who's dirty, who does the, you know, who's the TV guide man. Go through it. Yeah, um, we've got a good balance. We're, we're uh, this, we we sort of take turns at everything. Um, I think he got a bit frustrated early on when I just little bits and pieces like. You know, washing up a plate after I was done or whatever, but um, he gave me a spray. Like he, he he put me on show with we had a we had a I had a guest over a friend. This is obviously before all the all the uh, um, the restrictions had come in, but 
but he uh, yeah he gave me a little spray in front of one of my one of my friends. So um, yeah, I, I picked I picked that up and um, yeah, no, we we work really well. He's he's actually a pretty good, a surprisingly pretty good cook. Like some just basic dishes, but some of the stuff that he's whipped up um, after the last couple of weeks and. Um, he's going to get pretty good at it because he's he's not he can't leave and can't go anywhere for the next three or four weeks. So have you seen the forty page? I've seen the forty page document of what you can and can't do, mate. He's in massive trouble. Oh yeah, it's he he's going crazy already. Like I I spoke to him even on the weekend. Like I had Mother's Day, I went to go see my mum, and um, I invited him over just forgetting because I sometimes I forget about the rules. Mm. And um, he goes, oh bro, like I can't I can't go like. They literally can't, can't do anything. Can't, like, I'm just, Mother's Day is just like obviously his parent, his mum, he lives in Queensland. Yeah. So I was like, I invite him around with my family, and he goes, Nah, bro, like I can't come. Like he's just sitting at home. He smashed out all his Netflix, all the stand shows. <laughs> like, he, I feel sorry for him. He he uh, like we're, we're potentially could be moving. So um, I think you know having a bigger space, we're in a, like a very small apartment. I think yeah. that'll help. Like he's he's been given clearance to go and look at a few places through the through the club and that. So I think he he like we we do one inspection a week and he enjoys that because that's his, his time to get out <laughs> get out of the apartment and, and get away from just go doing footy stuff and coming straight home. So yeah, it's tough for him. The boys like it's crazy that they're in, sort of in this situation for uh, like they're pretty much in. The, the one of the only jobs that are probably essentially still in lockdown, just so you know, we as fans can watch them play footy. Mate, can you imagine telling a first grade footballer they're not allowed to see their girlfriends or their future girlfriends? Yeah, um, I think normie has got a few future girlfriends too. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's definitely been the hardest part for sure. The old Zoom and FaceTimes are getting a workover for sure. Oh, mate. I, yeah, I don't know what he's been getting up into that room by himself, but um, some weird noise has been coming out of that room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that's that's definitely going to be the bitty struggles with the most. But, um, look, it's two or three weeks. Hopefully they can start playing footy. Then they, they loosen the restrictions. And he can, yeah. And they even... Like I, he can't even come and get a coffee with me down at the mm. um, down at the local. Like walk down. We're only five minutes away from our local cafe. Just go grab a coffee, and he can't do that. So I've, I, I go grab the takeaway coffees for us in the morning and bring him back, and just little things like that. I think you know you, you appreciate when you're in a situation like he's now. Yeah, for sure, mate. You know, I mentioned Donny Singe before, mate. Tell me a little bit about his training style, and I know he's pretty brutal on the boys at times. Was there any? What type of trainer were you, Justin? So yeah, I was I was a pretty good trainer, like. Uh, I had limitations with regards to my speed and my body shape. And um, I remember the funny story is when I got over to um, to Manly, Donnie goes, we get, we got to sort out those legs. And I said, all right, because <laughs> I I've, I've probably had the skinniest legs that he, he'd ever come across. <laughs> and he goes, we need to sort them out. He goes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on a program. You're going to, you don't do any upper body weights until you've done your leg weight. So, if you finish like our gym sessions would last an hour, he goes. If you if you pump out your your leg weights, then you can do some uppers. You can do some. Chest. He goes. I'm not worried about your like your chest and your shoulders are alright. He goes. Your pins are awful. So we need to build them up. <laughs> so I used to do uh, three sets of ten of calf raises, squats, leg press, and hammy curls. Yeah. <laughs> before I could do anything else that was on the uh, um, program. Yeah. Did it work? And, um, Nah, like it did, they didn't get anything. <laughs> I said to Donnie, Donnie, because like he didn't, he doesn't want it. This is what I loved about Donnie. This is 
a big part of the manly culture. You're accountable for your own actions. Yeah. So he's he wasn't one of those guys that would go. So he told me he goes, "This is what I want you to put out. Give me a program." He goes, "Go do it." And he wasn't. He wouldn't watch me. And he just he made sure, like you know, you're doing the right things. And I appreciated that because at Parramatta was probably a little bit different. So yeah, and even Donnie come up to me, fucking six months into it, he goes, "Fucking, what's going on? You haven't been doing your legs." <laughs> I fucking, I said, Donnie, I swear to you, I used to have to get players to vouch for me, like. I'd have because I sometimes I'd train with like Jimmy Bure and Tommy Simons and that, yeah, and those boys and those that was my back row crew. And I'd say, boys, tell Donnie I've been fucking doing this before I've been doing all my upper body. And uh, the boys would, yeah, they'd be out training. <laughs> um, like it's probably no surprise 13 was my best year though, because like even though the, the definition and the size didn't grow, like I, mm. I felt it when I was playing. Like you look back on some of those games and I just had a little bit more juice. Like I was obviously fucking fatigued and tired as through that preseason from yeah. doing it, especially when I went out and do running straight after it, like would would be doing con and I was, you know, generally one of the, you know, in, in the forwards I'd be around the top five or six in the group for, for con, but, you know, yeah. that 13 year I was fucking mid-pack or, or below. My legs were just fucked. Like, <laughs> I, I can imagine. Up, you know, like I had my best year in 13, so, um, yeah, that was that was probably a big part of it. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's wrap things up. Give me your best memory from your time at the Catalans and living in the France. Best memory from time in the Catalans. Um, there was some good, like a lot of it was, there's some good times on the field. I was, I was injured a lot of time on the field there for the Catalans, but just the travel, mm. like I said, um, being over there and experiencing life away from footy, um, learning a new language, creating these new relationships with some people that, you know, I'd never have the chance to, whether it be, you know, the some local 60 to 70-year-old Frenchie down at the bakery, go, you know, I was, treat myself every now and again to, like, my lifestyle changed completely living over there. What's a lot a, of coffee. Yeah, what's a nightlife there? A lot of baguettes. Like, nightlife. What's, what's the nightlife like? Nightlife, yeah, treated myself to the nightlife at a, we're only an hour and a half away from Barcelona Drive, so um, that there was, there were, we frequent Barcelona nightclubs. We were in a uh, Mister. Yeah, hey, Mister Horro, come on in. We missed you. Yeah. Um, until I, yeah, there was one time in particular where they they weren't too happy to see me. I think I was carrying on a fair bit, but uh, I, I, one of the coolest moments was when when Luke Burgess coming over in the in the second year. Yeah. He'd. Um, he had had a lot of family holidays to the south of France, mm. and we we went to this really remote part of France, and right in the middle of the country. And there was um, family, friends, and and it was this small, tiny little village, and it had like this this canal that went through, and uh, their family friends owned a boat, and we spent like the weekend. We spent like three or four days there, mm. and it was well, even at like little um, um, minor details, like the village in itself had a had the, the local shop and there was only like three or 400 people in the village. Yeah. And um, there was actually no one running the shop. It was like a, um, like if you, if you wanted to buy something, it had like a baguette there for two euros and then it was an honesty system. Okay. So you pay you if you want to pay. Yeah. yeah. $2 and no one, no one would be um, like checking in. It was just like, that's just how they lived. And yeah. that was just like a really cool like, eye opener for me. Um, just the, how much trust and how like laid yeah. back they were in that part of the world. And um, I remember leaving that weekend in particular. I said to 
to Pippa. I said, that's one of the best weekends I've ever, I've ever had in my life. And, you know, we were, it was like me and him and his family friends, and they were all old, older French, like an older French lady and, and her partner. And it was just a really cool laid-back weekend. And in the midst of it, it was, it was, we had a we had a buy that weekend, so we, we were given time off. And um, just to sit back and you know, get involved in that sort of culture was a, a real... Um, you know, cool part of that those two years living over there. No, nah, it would have been definitely, man. All right, final question, Justin. Now it's just my dinner party question. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now only rules: no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite? <laughs> anyone dead or alive? Um, she said dead or alive. Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. dead or alive? Um, for someone who's probably passed away. I love comedians. I've always like. If you see, like, even when I try to do my podcast, I'm you know half trying to be funny all the time. <laughs> Dave Chappelle, in particular, and Ricky Gervais have been yeah. a couple of modern day comedians that I've that I think are hilarious. Um, so them, those two would be there. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Green yeah. Bay Packers. Mate, he could be in a bit of trouble this year, couldn't he? Yeah, he's a really, really smart dude. Like. Conversations that I hear him have, like on podcasts, or um, and he goes out with that Danica Patrick too, doesn't he? Yeah, he's he's a really out there dude. Yeah, um, he'd be he'd be cool to have. And um, shit, I'm trying to trying to think of uh, who'd be the fifth one. No friends or family, you say? Mm. Yeah, no, I'm trying to – I've got two comedians. Who have you got out of – you know what? I know you're keen on your, your American sport and they've got obviously the Michael Jordan documentary. Like for me, I'm a little bit older than you, so I say Jordan over LeBron. But, yeah, I'm Jordan over LeBron, yeah. yeah. So I grew up dad, – dad was a big Michael Jordan fan and I was Scottie Pippen when I was younger. So I'd, I've got all like Scottie Pippen. I've just got into card collecting again with yeah, the boys. Yeah. And, um, I've, my my uh, card PC collection of Scottie Pippen is just fucking – did you used to do like the upper deck back in the day when you were growing yeah, up? Yeah. Oh, how good was um, yeah, those days? Finest. Remember that like card shop you used to be able to go in in person? Mary. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, was saying to, I was just saying to the boys the other day, we don't have anything like that. Um, that was stellar, mate. If my dad took me there, like yeah. that was my week, mate. Oh, I was saying the same to the boys. I said uh, I'd, I'd do all, all my pocket money, like all the chores I did around the house. Like, yeah. you know, I'd, if I, I had to take the garbage out every night, mow the lawns every now and again or whatever. Um, if I got given five bucks of the week, I'd go buy a pack of yeah. basketball cards. That and, mate, the, there could be a hologram in there. There could be a gold card. You don't know what's in there. You know, yeah. That's the beauty. Yeah. I, w- I wish I'd probably um, kept them in better condition. Yeah. Uh, they worth something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I've still got a couple in there. I was looking at some um, comparisons on eBay the other day for some of the cards, and some of the cards are worth, you know, like 100, 150 US. And, but, like, I just think the condition of them is going to probably let me down because I used to just – I always take him out of the sleeves all the time and make my best team, yeah. me and my cousin. So, um, yeah, probably, I don't know, yeah, maybe maybe chucking Scotty Pippen in there because um, I always appreciated – I always sort of followed like number two guys my whole career yeah. because of like I felt like guys that were um, underappreciated. Did you watch the know, one – Maybe that's the way I felt like I was. Did you watch the new episode last night when he quit on the team? Yeah, yeah. I watched oh. the first one, so I still need to watch eight. So um, I watched episode seven, and um, yeah, he, it's it's like they said he'll probably never live that down, you know. Like, he, but he's still pretty. Stoic he, yeah, big time. 
but to be fair, he does have a point. Like you know, I sort of you know vaguely remember those years. I just remember Scotty being a gun, but that year when MJ had left, and it's still you know he was the guy, he was distributing, he made sure everyone got looked after, and yeah, you know, this is a moment for him to stand out and let everyone everyone know that like, there's life without MJ. Fuck, Kukocha's um, a big guy, eh? Like for yeah. a small forward. He would have been yeah, nearly they, seven they, foot. He gave Tony the shot, and fuck, like it was the right play, obviously, because he got it. <laughs> it would have been, it would have been, um, yeah, it would have been a kick in the guts to Scotty, considering how much he'd always given up. He was happy to play second fiddle. He was his salaries were awful. Now that you look back on it, it must yeah. have just been like fuck. He, he must have felt so underappreciated. And, but he was dumb, but when he signed his seven year contract, like, oh yeah, two million a year, but, I think, average or something. That was, but that's. That probably would have felt like a really good contract for him at the time. Oh, for someone that comes from not much as well, you'd become a millionaire. So you can't say, you know, you're not crying poor, but when you've got yeah. Luke Longley, who's a role player and he's making $12 million a year. Yeah. Fuck, that would have hurt. Oh, can you imagine the white the white Aussie big boy who's just yeah. a role player against the second best player probably in the top 10 in the NBA who's making yeah. $2 million a year, bro? That would hurt like hell. Yeah, for sure. He goes huge over there too. Yeah, I think he, he looks like he's done all right for himself now. Yeah, not bad. Basketball. He looks like in the settings that he's in at the moment, he's going all right. So, um, yeah, it would, have, it would have been tough though during those years because he would have just felt that unappreciated, like I said. No, for sure. Well, Justin, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Before you let, let you leave, everyone get following Justin. Instagram, you'll find him at JustinHoro12. He's got a fantastic podcast. It's called The Scope. Justin, thanks for jumping on the pod, brother. Thanks for having me, mate. And that, guys, was Justin Horro. As I did mention at the top of the show, definitely check out his podcast. It's called The Scope. Definitely also follow him across the Instagram and all the different social medias. He's always got plenty of laughs out there, and he's a great fella, as you did hear in that podcast. So definitely support the cause. He's got some great chats. He's got his own unique style. So definitely check out The Scope. All right, guys, next week on the show, we've got Andrew Ryan. Actually, I might do a double episode. I'm still hanging on to an episode I've got with Blake Braley, and obviously with the NRL being back, it was recorded a couple of months ago, so I might pop that out as well. So you might get a double episode next week, but definitely Bobcat Ryan is the next one off the block, and that's going to be out as normal next Monday. Thanks for everyone that shares the show with your family and friends. Really appreciate all the different support. If you want to continue to do that, you can find me Facebook or Twitter, tag me at Talking with TK. Instagram, you'll find me at Tristan Nell. So I really appreciate all the support and all the reviews that you guys always leave on the Apple Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Facebook pages. So I really appreciate that as well. Definitely get in touch as well. Tristan at Talking with TK.com. I've got plenty of episodes on my bag, but up, yeah, that's what they up the bag, whatever it says. But I've got uh, always room for suggestions, so any requests, please send them through. My book, Talking With Champions, 75 of my best interviews. You also hear from the likes of Jonathan Thurston, Ivana Holyfield, George Foreman, Layla Ali, and many NRL and other sporting stars across Australia and New Zealand. So check it out now. Plenty of motivation and inspiration. The book's called Talking With Champions. You'll find it at Dimmick's Booktopia or Angus and Robinson. All right, guys, I'll speak to you next Monday. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.